0: We're going to be over in the book of Exodus. If you want to open your Bibles, turn there, look up on the screen, whichever you prefer to do. Well, as the title in indicates, we're going to teach you how to lose what you have. Now people aren't too excited about that. It seems that we don't need to be taught a whole lot about how to lose what we have, because losing what we have seems to be pretty easy it's hanging on to the stuff that we have or gaining what God wants to give us is the is the problem but by learning how to lose it we can also learn how to keep it and of course the poster child for this is our guy we've been looking at for the last couple weeks and that's Pharaoh because this is a man who lost everything And if he would have just done what God said, he would not have lost so much. Last week we were looking at that God will lead you into a place where opposition will be present. Just because God puts a call on your life, God gives you an assignment, when God sends you in a direction, do not think for a moment that you are going into a place where there is no opposition. There will be opposition. And if you don't get yourself ready for it, when the opposition comes, it will discourage you and it will keep you from hanging on to what God has, has given you. We saw that Moses, he had the word from God. He had God show up in a burning bush, gave him his assignment, gave him the words, gave him the sign and told him. That Pharaoh is not going to let them go until I do this with a strong hand. And even mention to him that it will be the loss of his firstborn that will finally bring it about. And yet when Moses goes in there and he doesn't see success right away and the children of Israel who first believed. When Moses came and told them, God sent me, they believed. The word of God told us. We looked at it last week. They believed but as soon as the opposition came and Pharaoh said no more straw they disbelieved you can bring that up (laughs) Mr. Keith is waiting over there for me thank you and we showed you the, the example last time that when we when Moses came to the children of Israel they were empty of belief but they were full of what? They're filled with doubt. And no matter what we do with this cup, this cup is going to be full of something. It's either full of air or filled with something else we put in. That our lives are filled with doubt. And through fasting and prayer, Jesus taught us that we can remove that doubt. But we have to put something else in the cup. And so when Moses came, they were filled with doubt And Moses came and he told them and it says in the word of God that the people believed and they had faith. But then when they ran into the opposition with Pharaoh and Pharaoh took away the straw and they were being beaten, they said, Moses, we wish you didn't come because now it is worse for us. And what they had left. See, what's, what's the thing about about faith is the devil can rustle you up. He can hit you, knock you around, and it seems that that faith can depart from your life. But it seems you can be hit with all sorts of stuff and doubt and unbelief stays in there. No matter how many things hit you, doubt and unbelief will stay. But when the words of God come and you believe it, you can change it. Now Moses was filled with faith when he went before Pharaoh. God showed him all these things and he came out and he heard the words of the leaders of Israel and they were upset and he goes to God and he says, why did you send me? And he went from having faith to being filled with doubt. But then God spoke to him and he came out full of faith again and ready to go into the presence of Pharaoh and demonstrate what God had done. Don't think that God gets so upset with you because you go from a place of doubt and unbelief to a place of faith, to a place of doubt and unbelief, to a place of faith. The disciples did that. And Jesus stayed with them. He was patient with them to bring them along. God will bring you along. He's patient with you. And He will help you out. He wants to get you to the place where you believe. Now, the cure for doubt is to mix faith with what God has said. you got to know what God has said. And when God has said it, then you mix faith with it. You can cure doubt. Doubt will get out of your life that way. You cure unbelief by finding out what God said. If you're in unbelief, you don't know what God said. Or you heard it, but you decided not to believe it. But if you want to cure doubt out of your life, you've got to take faith and mix it with what God has said. I think I gave this to you last time. Doubt feeds on ignorance. Unbelief feeds on hardness of heart and disobedience. And we're going to take a look at the hardness of heart that was inside of Pharaoh. we got a lot of scriptures to cover. We're not going through each of these things in detail, but I want you to see some of the, the highlights that go along with what we've been looking at as far as having the Word of God in your life and having faith in that Word. In verse 1 of chapter 7, so the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. So he gave him a setup, much like he does with the children of Israel. Here's God. He's going to send his people, and they're going to be his spokesmen. And so Moses, he's saying, Moses, you're going to be like position of God to Pharaoh, and Aaron is going to be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, shall speak to Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of this land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Now, we've told you before, When the Word of God says here that God did it to the Hebrew mind, if God didn't stop it, God did it. Otherwise, God can't really hold Pharaoh accountable if he got in there and made him hard. Now, breaking down the plagues, you all know the ten plagues that come. There are two signs that came to them. That was the sign of the serpent and the sign of the leprosy. And there are ten plagues, making a total of twelve the plagues are in groups of threes. Two, in each, in each group of these threes, two are announced. The first two of the three are announced. One is not. So what you're going to have is announced plague, announced plague, unannounced plague, announced plague, announced plague, unannounced plague. And in the third set, announced announce plague, announced plague, unannounced plague. That's the pattern that God followed with this. Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83 years old, when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod, and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did just so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh, before his servant, and became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. So the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rods swallowed up their rods, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. I've I've wondered about this verse of scripture. How is it that the wise men were ready to do this? Is this something they did on a regular basis? Turn rods into snakes? Or is it that they had the heads up? Because certainly the the enemy understood what was happening. He heard. He saw what went on at the burning bush. He saw Moses come out to the children of Israel, and he did it there. He knew what was coming. I kind of think that he gave them the heads up. Get yourselves ready. You're going to have to turn some rods into, into some snakes. So they had their rods, and they were ready. Of course, when they did it, it said, Aaron's rods swallowed up their rods. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. This is what the Lord said. He said he's going to grow hard. Now, I, I asked this question, and I've given you this in, in years past. We don't cover this. Uh, I think the last time we covered this was about eight years ago. So you probably can forget some things in eight years. But we'll go over some of this uh, again, just to remind you. If you know the pattern of growing hard, you'll know how to stop it. You know how to spot it in your own life to be able to change it. Don't think for a moment that you cannot grow hard. Because you can't. No matter how long you have walked with God, no matter how long you have served God, you can grow hard to the things of God. Just understand that it can happen. If you think, well, it won't ever happen to me, then guess what? You're on the way of that happening. Three things here. First off, he was being asked to give up something. Anytime you're going to see somebody walk into the place of hardness, it's because they were asked to give up something. You'll be hard-pressed to find anybody who became hard who does not also talk about what they were unwilling to give up. How many of you know people that uh, used to go to church and don't go to church anymore? obviously not you folks here, but you know people they used to go to church they don't go to church now. if you ask them why is it you don't go to church? what kind of reasons do you hear? I'll give you a couple that I think you may have may have heard all they want is my money. money. Yeah. Have you heard that one? Oh yeah, yeah, because they're feeling like they were asked. And they're not willing to give it, so they became hard to the things of God, hard to go into church. They expect that I would be there every week. See? They're asking something in my attendance and I'm not so sure that I, that I want to give that. Well, they always want me to do something always asking me to do this or do that. And so it, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who used to go to church, who became hard to go into church, who does not say, well they, they quit doing this, they don't do this, I don't get this, they're not doing that. There's something on the giving side. They either expected to receive something from them or they expected to they were they, they. feel like they were being asked to give something. Here Pharaoh was asked to give up something. Let my people go. He did not see the need to give up something. I don't need to give these people up. This is my free labor over here. And he decided his opinion was right. That's the pattern people will go when they become hard. First off, somebody asked me to give up something. I don't think I need to give it up. And I've decided that my opinion is right. That's how we get into a hardness of heart. Have you ever had a friend that you used to be close to and are not close to anymore? Isn't it true that if you go back, that that friend thought you were asking something from them or that you were not giving them something they wanted. They became hard to you. Now see, here's the thing. You may have heard people say, well, did they really yell at you if you didn't attend church? Did they come check out your bank account if you weren't given? And none of those things happened. But they felt that way. You see, the enemy goes around and he begins to sow seeds. Don't you think they ought to do this? Do you think it's right that they ask this of you? It'll work for that way for an employee, for an employer-employee relationship. You ever know, How many times have you found someone who's getting ready to leave, go off to something else, or just quit? Why are they going to quit? Well, they don't appreciate what I do they're not giving me the recognition I think I ought to (laughs) have. They keep asking for more work. They're not paying me enough for what I do. You'd be hard-pressed to find somebody who got hard to where they're working without feeling like something was being asked of them. They didn't feel they deserved. Pharaoh does not see that he needs to give up anything. Does not want to give what the Lord has said. I think I put this in your outline unless I took it out. When an authority asks or requires something of us that is not against the word and we refuse based on selfish motivations we become stubborn and harden ourselves to that authority. When an authority asks or requires something of us that is not against the word and we refuse based on selfish motivations we become stubborn and harden ourselves to that authority. Consider their rich young ruler. What did Jesus do with him? He was only, he was pursuing eternal life. He says, what do I lack? And Jesus loved him, it says. And he says, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. And you have treasures in heaven. Now, if giving to, the, if, if selling everything you have is the key to getting into the kingdom, then why is it that when he went over to the tax collector's place, he didn't say, give up all you have? Why is it he just stood up and said, I'm going to sell half of what I have? Jesus could have stood up and said, well, that's not sufficient. He didn't sell it all. He didn't say that to him. He didn't tell that to Matthew when he recruited him. You got to sell all that you got. He didn't tell James, John, and Peter, "You got to sell your boats." He didn't do that, but he did to this rich young ruler, and he was not willing to give it. Herod, remember how uh, Herod respected John; he enjoyed hearing him, but he also made him mad because Herod, Herod had married his brother's wife. And John kept pointing that out. You're not supposed to be married to her. And Herod didn't like that. He became hardened to the things of John. Now, we can become hardened to temptation as well as become hardened to God's leading because of what we have to give up. The way that you become hardened to temptation is by understanding what you have to give up to follow the temptation. I'm not going to follow that temptation into pride because I know what I have to give up to go after that. Just like we know, I'm not going to go into a, into a bank and hold them up and take all the money because I know what I would be giving up in order to do that. And we don't want to, we don't want to go after that. Now Moses had become hardened to the call of God in his life simply because He was willing to give up and that didn't seem to be enough. Well, I pursued that. I gave up some stuff. That didn't seem to be right. And he became hardened to the things of God. So that God, even in a burning bush experience, had a tough time getting him back. I think I put this in your outline. Hardness of heart is simply considering your opinion as higher than those in authority over you. That is simply what the hardness of heart is. Once we begin this, we spiral downward until we put a stop to it by submitting to what we have resisted. Now this is key. I don't think I ever gave you this one before, but this is key. You've got to understand this one. It seems that hardness of heart does not come without the companion of ungratefulness. I put it in my ungratefulness, unthankfulness, either way that you understand it. It seems hardness of heart does not come without the companion of ungratefulness or unthankfulness. Doesn't the Word of God say that in the end people will become unthankful? Among other things, that's one of the things that it it cites. If we wonder why there's so much hardness of heart, it's because there's so much unthankfulness that goes on. Anyone who is hard to something is also unthankful for something that that authority, that source gives. So what the devil wants to try and do if he's going to combat you is he's got to get you to be unthankful for the things of God. Unthankful for the Word. Unthankful for praise and worship. Unthankful for other believers. Unthankful for something in your life. If he can get you to be unthankful for it, he can then get you hard to it and if you become hard to it then you don't receive the things from that anymore. It doesn't happen. I gave this example to you once before but I'll give it to you again. Have you, ever, have you ever glued things together? I glue things together all the time. Constantly gluing things together. And because of my need to have to glue things together I do some study on some glues. Every once in a while. I mean I don't make a I don't buy books on 101 ways to glue things together. But I'm always checking out new ways to attach things, new things that are available to you. And one of the best things you can get if you want to glue two things together, is a particular, it's not crazy glue. Crazy glue is not the strongest bond you can get. There's much stronger things out there. But if you want to get something that really works, the thing that you want is not a glue, It's called an epoxy. And an epoxy is not... You take one part of it and another part and you mix it together. Now, by itself, neither one will attach anything. But when you mix them together, they will form a bond stronger than anything else that you will find. Different epoxies have different strengths. The stronger it is, it may have some other downsides to it. Some of its workability is lost. My son and I were doing a project for something... We were trying one kind of glue, it wasn't strong enough. We tried another kind of uh, epoxy, it wasn't strong enough. So we finally settled on this one, this went out to the hardware store and the guy said, this thing dries rock solid. It will, you can, you can carve it, you can sand it, you can do all sorts of stuff once it's, but it's, it's, it was a really strange epoxy, you may not see this all the time, but it actually had a, you cut it off and you had to mix it. There's a couple I've seen that were out there, but this particular one, you could shape it any way you want and it would harden in that shape. And whatever you put on either end, it would hold it there. And we needed something that strong. And so we got this thing, and and we and it worked. It, it, uh, it held up with water, it held up with whatever it was that you wanted to do. But when you're working with these things, you have a window. Some epoxies have a window of 15 minutes. Some are super fast, not as strong. If you're gonna get something that dries faster, it will not be as strong. You lose strength in order to, to have it dry faster. But some of them might be dry in five minutes. Some of them might be dry in fifteen. Some take a half hour. Some take an hour. Some take overnight before that they're they're ready to go. But once they become hard, it is impossible to get them to bond to anything. If they are not already bound to something, it is impossible to get them to bond bind to anything else once you become hard to the things of God whatever God speaks whatever God says to you whatever God shares his word it will bounce off you because you are as hard to it you don't even know it you think I'm so receptive to the things of God if you allow that ungratefulness that unthankfulness to come into you you will become hard hard Verse 14, so the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. Remember this, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water and you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him and the rod which was turned to the serpent you shall take in your hand. Then you shall say to him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness but indeed until now you would not hear now remember we I've, i share with you way back when we started this thing what god spoke to me on, on some things you've shared with some of you have shared with me some things that god has spoken most times god says something that's very simple it's very succinct it's very clear this is what god's word is to pharaoh it changes Very slightly. He says here, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you saying, Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. This first time we see in the wilderness added. After this he says, Let my people go that they may serve me. And every time he comes to Pharaoh, Let my people go that they may serve me. Keep that in mind. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are on the, in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall turn to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying to Aaron, or say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, over all their pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in the buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank. The Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard. And he did not heed them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. And Seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. Now Moses did this on a large scale. Because he did it on a large scale, it wasn't really available for the, for the uh, magicians to do it on anything but a small scale. But because they could do it on a small scale, he said it's, it's no big deal. And he did not soften his heart. Now it says that Pharaoh's heart grew hard. There is a growth process of softness to hardness. You you grow that way. You don't just instantly become hard. There's a a growing process that, that goes there. We begin to think that I'm my own authority. People that are hard think they are their own authority. They may not they may say, well, no, I'm under this, or, but they're not really. My stuff is all mine. My selfishness will motivate my boldness, and I have no beneficial focus in turmoil. When they get in turmoil, they can't focus on what they need to focus on. They're all over the place. Understand, if you get into a place of turmoil and you cannot focus your attention on the things of God or the things that will stabilize your life, it is more than likely because there is some degree of hardness of heart in you. The softer you get, the better it will be. Remember the disciples on the boat when the storm came? They're bailing the water, bailing the water, Come down to Jesus. Jesus, don't you care? We're perishing. They were in turmoil. The enemy got them off the focus. They lost that peace. And if, if you operate in the things of God, no matter what turmoil the, the enemy throws your way, you will be at peace. Just watch the life of Jesus. Jesus does not get thrown. People want to kill him. Hey, it's cool. <laughs> he just walks right through them. He faces a, a demon-possessed man that no one could control. And he walks willingly into it into the turmoil and turns it around. That's what you can become. If turmoil throws you, there is some degree of hardness of heart in you. Now if you sit there and say, no there's not, okay. And the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, into your bed, into your houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you, on your people, and on all your servants." Then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up, covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments, and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. Guess they didn't have enough, so they bring up some more. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron, said, "Entreat the Lord that He may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go, that they may sacrifice to the Lord." Now, I've often thought about this. If Moses has already called for the frogs to come and then they come up afterwards and said, hey, we're going to call up some frogs too. How do you know they aren't the same frogs that Moses already called up? <laughs> but you see, here's the thing. They couldn't get rid of them. Pharaoh's probably said, all right, now make them go. And they couldn't make it go. So he has to come back to Moses. Moses, I need you to make these guys go. Entreat the Lord, he says, to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, accept the honor of saying, when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people, to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. And so he said, tomorrow, and he said, let it be according to your word, and you may know that there is no one like the Lord your God, God, and the frogs shall depart from you from your houses, from your servants, from your people, and they shall remain in the river, river only. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs, which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. They gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. Now I don't know about you, but have you ever come upon a, a deer carcass that got hit by a, by a car? Yeah. And uh, boy, you can smell that, can't you? Oh, I tell you, there's, there's a bunch of them out in the 202 bypass whenever I go running out there. You sometimes see one and you can, you start coming up to this, Oh man, that's just one deer. This is, sounds like millions of frogs. All dead. I mean, where are you going to put them? Now there is a, frog-headed goddess that the Egyptians worshipped, H-E-K-A is the spelling of it, so I don't know if that's Heka or Heka, but it's one of those, probably something along those those lines. So this abundance would have probably put a strain on their religion to worship this particular goddess. I mean, you're worshipping them, they're supposed to be a god to you, and they're just all over the place. This uh, particular goddess was a symbol of creative power. I am told that this particular type of frog crawled and constantly croaked. They resembled a toad. Now, I had a note about this. I'm not sure where I found this note. I couldn't... um, uh, I didn't write down the source for it, but it apparently caused some nations to leave their land the invasion of these toads, frogs. Now, they can be obnoxious. I think I've told you this story before. You know, we have the pond out back and we have frogs that are on it and frogs are active during the day and frogs are active during the night. Frogs just seem to always be active. They just, they never stop. All night long, you hear croaking and croaking and croaking and back and forth, you know, the frogs are going. These are just, these frogs are pleasant compared to what these guys are. And these frogs are in your bedroom. They're in your kitchen. They're in your ovens. They're on your person. They're just all over the place. That'd be very unpleasant. How many of y'all will say, I, I wouldn't like that. I do not want this kind of thing going on with me. But this is what they had. These frogs were just all over. So he got so fed up with it, so tired of it, he decided uh look entreat the Lord and um, have him take them out. And once they were gone, then he changed his mind. And he grew hard. Well, in verse 16, So the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth and it became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast, and the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them just as the Lord had said. Now the word there for lice is the word kinim, K-I-N-N-I-M. This is an unannounced Plague. Plague number three. It's translated lice here, but it likely means gnats, fleas, or mosquitoes. The closest word in the Hebrew is the word for mosquito. Now, not this is not something they worshipped. They didn't worship the the mosquito or the lice or whatever it might have been. But they did worship cleanliness. They were always bathing. And this could certainly be the the form of attack, because every one of these plagues attacked one of their gods. The Nile was one of their gods, and it attacked that, but it also attacked their ability to get clean, and here it's attacking their cleanness as well. Now, this one, Pharaoh is not much bothered by this. Perhaps he—he's a—he's an elevated area. Do you know that that bugs can only go so high? I—I I learned this when I was a kid growing up. There was this um, uh, person I, I knew, and they lived in a high-rise. In fact, it's down in Willow Grove. If you go down by the turnpike, if you see that high rise apartment that's out over there, I knew somebody who lived in there and they lived in one of the upper floors. And there's no screens in the building on the upper floors. And I noticed that about the thing. I said, asked him, I said, why are there no screens up here? He says, we don't need them. You get high enough, the bugs don't go that high. Wouldn't that be cool? Just open the thing up. Don't need a screen. I don't remember what floor it was. I, I know he told me there's a certain floor that you hit and the bugs don't go any higher than that. But I don't remember what it was. But we were high enough that they didn't come up that high. So he may have had a elevated house and the bugs didn't come up to where he was at. The frogs must have made it their way up there, but <laughs> the, these uh, particular, particular ones did not. So Pharaoh's heart grows hard on this. In uh, verse 20, And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning, stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water, then say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. Once again, he comes with the word. Every time he announces the plague, he comes out with the word, Let my people go that they may serve me. Or else if you will not, let my people go because I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people and on your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. And I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. And the Lord did so thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to, to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, they will not, then will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord, to the Lord our God, and he will command us. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far away, intercede for me. Then Moses said, Indeed, I am going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore in not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh from his servants from his people. Not one remained and Pharaoh hardened his heart. This time also neither would he let the people go. Now again he had another night with the flies just like he had another night with the frogs. And that may be because he said when he was first asked about the frogs uh, let them go out tomorrow. So same pattern holds for, for this one. Uh This one, uh, this one bothered them. The word here for flies is the word Arab, A-R-O-B. That is the word that you have to translate. The Septuagint, translated as dogfly. Uh, beetle is also a very possible translation for this. Now beetles are sacred to to Ra, the sun god. One form of uh, Ra was represented as a beetle or a man with the head of one. But these flies came on in and they destroyed. Now most of us, you know, if you get one or two flies in your house, some of you are bugged by that. Oh, I tell you what, they just, they just, just one or two. But they're all over the place here. All over the land. Flies. Everywhere you go is flies. You breathe them in. Flies. Or beetles. I mean, I think beetles would be even worse for you than flies. Because beetles, they just look nasty. the land was corrupted or destroyed because of these. And so Pharaoh was very moved by this one. But notice the attempt to compromise the word of God. Alright, look, I'm going to let you go, but stay in the land. What was the word that he had? Let my people go that they may serve me. That That was the word that was spoken. Well, all right, I'll let you go. See, you're still mindful of the wilderness part. But don't go far. Just stay here in the land. We can't do that because our God may say, sacrifice this and it will be an abomination to the Egyptians. The Egyptians might worship it and they would say, oh, we're going to kill you because you uh, you sacrifice this God of ours. So we can't do that. We have to go out. We have to leave the land. Now, don't get all on Pharaoh's case because how many of you have compromised the things God spoke? Have you ever had God speak to you and say, I want you to give, I want you to sow this, and you decided, well, I, I don't quite want to do, I'll do this instead. That has more value. But that's not what God asked you to do. Anytime I ever think of that, I think of, uh, I think it was Brother Creflo, who had that story where God told him to give away the suits. <laughs> what, what was it? You all remember this? I think two, was it two suits? Those two new suits he had? And he didn't want to give away the two new, I think it was the two new suits, so he gave away four old suits. And so uh, God still was dealing with them by giving them the two new suits. But I just gave him four old suits. So now he had to give them the two new suits in order to come up with the word of God. And so I, I may have the numbers wrong on this one, but it's it's somewhere like that. And so now he's out six suits. And God said, I only told you to give up two of them. <laughs> he gave up six or some number thereof. Um, Because you didn't follow what God said to do. If you cannot compromise what God says to do and get the same result or hold God to it. If God said to you, no fast food for a month and you have no fast food except on Saturdays, (laughs) then you didn't measure up, did you? If God speaks to you, and says, raw vegetables only and you decide to have some cooked. Did you keep up with what God said? No, but yeah, but I still had vegetables. It doesn't matter. When God speaks something to you, you need to do it exactly as God spoke it. God's very simple. In his in his commands, let my people go that they may serve me. And he's having a hard time with it. Says, All right, I'll let them go, but they got to stay in the land. Just know the enemy is always trying to compromise what God has spoken to you and get you to do it just a little different. God speaks to you and says, I want you to do this starting tomorrow. And next week you haven't started yet. God says, I want you to do this starting now, or just stop that, whatever it might be. And you don't. And you go back to God, well, God, I just can't do that. Is Pharaoh able to let the people go? He's perfectly able. He's just not willing. Because he wants the, the the slave labor. He doesn't want to give that up. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. And if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle, in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But out of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not every even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. Now how many of you, if you're some of the people, are getting a little tired of Pharaoh's carrying on? We don't know that the people want the slave labor. We know that Pharaoh does because Pharaoh has a lot of building projects apparently that he was, he was doing and he was uh, recruiting these, these, uh, the slave labor for. The people, even if some of them liked some of the things he was building, at uh, some point they're going to say, forget it. Frogs, beetles, mosquitoes, whatever all the other things were, this is just too much. Now we just lost all this cattle. All this livestock just died. But over there in the land of Goshen, not a single one died. That's telling them something. This fever of cattle was apparently not uncommon in Egypt and especially in the area of the Delta. But the distinction was made. That's what really set this apart. Wait a minute. It went all over but not the land of Goshen. Now some of these plagues affected the land of Goshen. Only a few of them did God say it didn't happen there. Remember, Israel was following after some of these Egyptian gods as well. They were not following after God the way that they should. And so some of these plagues came on them to get them to get rid of those gods too. You want to worship that beetle god? Here you go. You want to worship frogs? How you like this? Now look at this last verse. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not even one of the last livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh, what? Became hard. Now I know Greek, I don't know Hebrew real well. So I depend on people for this, and apparently this verse of Scripture means he became hard. If you become something, it means you stop being something else in order to become this. If you become angry, what did you stop being? Happy, glad, joyful, and you became angry. If you become hungry, what did you stop being? Full, satisfied, and you became hungry. How many can remember when you become hungry? And you know, there's there's something that can come come upon you. You know, these, these last couple of weeks, how I many y'all know it's been hot? Glory to God, I'm just enjoying that heat out there, just getting out there and just basking in that heat. This is good. Yeah, there we go. We got an amen over in this corner. <laughs> enjoying that heat. I was out there on a couple of runs and, and, uh, you know, I don't believe in water before you run. I don't believe in water at all. I go out and run, no water, no water before, no water, just, just go. But, uh, there's one day, a couple of days I came back from, from there and, you know, once I come back, I can, I can have stuff. So I, I downed an entire thing of Gatorade. Whole, whole little thing. Didn't even seem to put a dent. And so then I went in and I had the glass of chocolate milk, because you know, chocolate milk is your good, that's your good recovery beverage right there. And I'm not kidding you, that's a good recovery beverage. Down the whole eight ounce thing of chocolate milk. That didn't help. Down the second one. Down the third one. And then if I lost well, enough chocolate milk, <clears throat> So I grabbed the orange juice. Eight ounces of orange juice just down the hatch. Just not even had a problem. And then another eight ounces of orange juice. I said, all right, we better just let that. I could have drunk. I could have taken more easily. Not even stressed out. One, two, three, four. I I, I don't know how many ounces. I think the Gatorade was 32 ounces and the cups were eight ounces. Just down. Didn't even bat an eye at it. It just right on down, down the hatch. I mean, that's thirsty. I wasn't thirsty out on the run. But I came back, and when I drank that first thing, I became thirsty. I didn't realize I was thirsty until then. But then I became. That's what I mean by become. You stop being this to become this. Look up at what the word of God said it here again. But the heart of Pharaoh, how can you become hard if you already were? Doesn't that seem odd? He became hard. What this means is he stopped being one kind of hard, the kind of hard that grows harder and harder over time. And he became hard. I would assumed this is the, this is harder than anybody else. This is a hard that is there that you are hard. Instant. This is it. You are as hard as you can get. We're not. We don't need to grow any harder. We are hard. Before, we were growing harder and harder and harder. And now, bam! He became hard. He was growing harder and harder. Now, he is hard. And you got to be to face all this. Because you know those people, if they lost all this livestock, all this cattle, they can't be happy. He's got to be feeling some pressure. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handful of ash, ashes from the furnace, and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh and Moses, scattered them toward heaven, and they caused boils that break out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on the and on the I mean, magicians and on the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Now when it says here, he hardened he, all the stops are off. Be as hard as you want. He's not putting any stops on this anymore. He's not in there trying to work. People are becoming hardened. God's still trying to work on them. He's still trying to say, look, come on over here to this side. And he said, um, My hands are off. You want to be Hard, be as hard as you want to be. And so we got, uh, we got some boils going on. Now the magicians couldn't come in and do the same thing because they were so affected by the boils. But can you imagine coming in? Can you make more boils? <laughs> uh, who's going to be the recipient of those? They're going to put them on themselves? They're going to put them on other people? The Pharaoh just became harder, it would seem. Well, like the third plague, there's no notice notice on this one. He did this in the sight of Pharaoh, but he does not announce it to Pharaoh. Verse 13, And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in the earth. Now event, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, that my name may be declared in all the earth. He could have said, "Well, I could have just wiped you all out with disease. If I came in and wiped out all the Egyptians with disease, my people would have just walked out of the land. But we didn't do it that way. Because I want all the world to know that I am God. And to this day, don't people all know about the ten plagues of Egypt? As yet you exalt yourself against my people in that you will not let them go. He still thinks he has a shot. Well, we survived the frogs. We survived the, the beetles. We survived the, uh, the death of the cattle. The The boils. We survived all these things. We're doing all right. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause a very heavy hail to rain down, such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field, for the hail shall come down on every man, every animal, which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb in the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven. And the Lord sent thunder and hail. Fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail in the land of Egypt. These kind of storms are not common in this area. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so that so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. That is a long time. Egypt is one of the oldest nations there is. So there was hail and fire mingled with hail so that uh, uh verse twenty five. And hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field, broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people, and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord, and the thunder will cease. and There will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. ha. See this in Moses? I don't need you to comply for me to have faith in God. I know you're not going to do this. Because he knows which one is going to push him over. This one isn't it. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head, and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are lake crops. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord, then the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. So the Pharaoh's heart was hard, it became hard, it was hard, it still is hard. And even after all this hail, this is the first one that brings death of people into the, into the play. Now here are the people, if you wanted to submit to the words of Moses, then you could pull all your folks in knowing that the hell's coming. If you say, I don't regard what Moses has to say, then you left your people out there and your flocks out there and they died. So some heeded the warning, others did not. Verse 1, Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will we refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. How can he humble himself before the Lord? Does he need to get down and worship him? Does he need to get rid of all the idols? He needs to do What God said. That's exactly it. Got to do what God said. If you want to show yourself humble before the Lord, you must do what the Lord says. You can say all day long, Father God, I'm humble. But if you do what you want to do, what you think you ought to do, you are not humble before God. If you are humble, you do what the Lord says. Which is why Moses was called such a humble man because he did what the Lord said. Verse 4. Or else if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. They shall cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth, and they shall eat the residue of what is left which remains to you from the hail. And they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and the houses of all the Egyptians which neither your fathers nor your fathers have seen since the day they were on the earth to this day. And he returned and went out from Pharaoh and Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought again to the Pharaoh and said. he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? (laughs) And Moses said, We will go with our young, with our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go. For we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware for evil is ahead for you. Not so. Go now you who are men and serve the Lord for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So the people came to him and said let the men go. So he got caught hollow that one. He said alright we're going to let the men go but the women and children stay here. So the Lord said to Moses stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every herb of the land. All that the hail has left. So what little the hail left they're going to come in here and eat it all up. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt and the Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locust. And the locust went up over all the land of Egypt, and rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously there had been no such locust as they, nor shall there be such after them. And they covered the face of the whole earth so that the land was darkened and they ate Every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin only this once and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord and the Lord turned a very strong west wind which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the children of Israel go. So he even cleaned up the locusts. The frogs, he didn't clean up. The people had to clean them up. But God even cleaned up the locusts for them here on this one. They attacked all that was left over from the hail. Boy, to to have a picture of what Egypt looked like after the hail damaged all the stuff that it did. After so much of the cattle was wiped out. After these cleaned out all the green things that were left. Just a barren wasteland. Verse 21, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, and there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may even be felt. You probably never had felt that kind of darkness. If you want to get darkness as dark like that, have you ever been in a cave? How many have ever been in a cave? Underground cave, down in the ground. If you ever get some of those, some of those caves, they take you down the ground, they turn the lights out. Yeah, that is dark. There is no light that can enter. It is dark. And you can you can put I, I was in some and you put your hand right here, right here. You cannot see it. You can't see any reflection from it. There is no light anywhere around. And you're going to be in that all this, not just for a few seconds, not just a minute or two. Darkness that can even be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was thick darkness in all land of Egypt for three days. Three days. Not being able to see anything. That'll move you. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. Well, where can you go? You're going to run into stuff. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Can you imagine that? Down in the land of Goshen, there's light. But not here. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, You, all, you must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. So we try and compromise it again. You guys go, but your flocks and your herds stay here. We want to make sure you come back. Now I think about some of this when he calls for, for Moses. And the hail's going on. Does Moses just walk out in the hail? And there's a like covering over him? When Moses comes over, is God a flashlight for him? And guide him? I mean, he's already a flashlight over the land of Goshen. Does he just take some of that light and just follow Moses right on up to Pharaoh? I don't know. He didn't say about that, but somehow he got there. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. See, he's not going to compromise. God said, we're going. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He would not let them go. Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. From the day that you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, you have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Because Moses knows what's coming next. He knows we won't need any more plagues. The one that God said was going to convince him to to send us out, this is the one that comes up here next. And that's the death of the firstborn. Now, i put this in your outline for you. You can lose what you have by hardness of heart. If you stay hard-hearted, you can lose everything that you have. God doesn't want you to lose everything. But you can lose everything that you have. Just like when we were kids. Kids are in here with us today. Just like if, if you decide not to listen to mom and dad. Do you lose stuff? When you were younger, did you lose stuff? Yeah, you lost privileges. You, you, you weren't able to do certain things. Uh, you gained stuff you didn't want to gain. Spankings. Chores. Stuff you had to do. Simply because you were, you can get hard of heart. Now if you're gonna show your parents, I'm not hard anymore, how did you, how would you show it to them? By doing what they wanted you to do. It's the same thing with God. You gotta do what He says to do. When God has spoken to you, and God has said, this is what I want you to do, you need to do it. But constantly, we don't do it. God has told us to think on positive things. And yet we go off and we think on negative stuff. Why do we do that? We don't listen to God. God has spoken his word. He says, think on these things. He gives you a list. Think on these things. And we go out and we think on other things. We can't be doing that. If God has spoken something to us, we got to be out there and do it. Well, God hasn't given me a direct word to, you know, I've, I've talked to you about a few few things God has said to me. Well, God has never given me that. He gave you His word. If you won't do what He wrote in His word, why is He going to give you something unique to you? You didn't listen. You didn't show yourself as as being willing to submit. We got we got to do what He says to do. And then He's going to give me some help. how to overcome some of the other things that are in my life I got to listen to them when I'm reading through the Bible and the Bible says thou shalt you should that's what I need to do I need to get in there this book of the law should not depart from your mouth yet how many times do we go out there and we talk about our problems oh this is going to be bad oh this is going to oh I can't believe this is it's not what he told you to do You've got to get in there, into the Word, when the Word of God says, you shall do this. How many you have ever said before, I just don't feel like God's with me anymore. I feel like I'm in this all by myself. And yet, in the Word of God it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that what he said in his Word? And yet, how many times do we go out there, God, I don't think that you're with me. God, I think that you've left me. God, why is it I'm in this all by myself? I'm not doing His word. I'm not believing His word. I've got to do what He said. I've got to believe what He said. I've got to receive the things that He has, has spoken. You can lose what you have by hardness of heart. Or gain what you don't by staying responsive to the words of God. Be responsive to it. Moses remains full of faith. Doubt. Doesn't come it doesn't fill him. After that first time. God doesn't fill him anymore. He's resistant to it. Even when Pharaoh makes his threat, You come and see me again, I'm gonna kill you. He says, You're right, I'm not gonna see you anymore. It's all over. We're gonna be we're gonna be out of here. And every time the Pharaoh said, All right, you can stay in the land, you can go. Leave your you leave your flocks. He says, No. This is what the Lord of God said. This is what we're gonna do. Now, the enemy, through people, reasonings, or doubt, will try and get you to compromise God's word to you. The enemy, through people, reasonings, or doubts, will try and get you to compromise God's word to you. Whether it's God's word in written in his word, or God's word that he spoke to you, he is always out to try and get you to not live up to it fully. Moses could have said, Well, you know, at least we're able to get away for a few days. At least the men are able to go. No. This is what God said. This is what you will do. Don't compromise on what God said. This is what God said. This is what God's going to do. Don't let it go. Not for a moment. When the enemy wants you to start speaking doubt and unbelief, how terrible things are, how horrible things are are going to be, that it's just not not gonna work out for you? Go back into the Word of God. This is what the Word of God says. Just read it out to him. Enemy? <laughs> this is what my God said. I choose to believe him. And you keep living like that. It will change your life. Would you all stand up with me? Today is our communion Sunday. We want to remember these principles in the time of communion. You see, when Jesus introduced communion to us, he introduced it in two parts because he knew we would not get this right. He knew we would be messing it up. The first part he did before supper. And he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Constantly, we get to a place where we accept one side or we accept the other but we very seldom accept both. The book of Isaiah tells us that his body was beaten bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. You are not spiritually healed. That's a doctrine that went around that you are spiritually healed. You are not spiritually healed folks. You are spiritually reborn. But physically physically we are healed. And so the the body was to represent the healing that comes into our body from sickness and disease. Jesus went about anointed to heal sickness and disease to demonstrate this aspect of God. that He didn't want sickness and disease to be a part of it. He wanted you to be free from it. And every place that Jesus would go, we saw it in the, in the scriptures, every place he would go as his habit was, the word of God says, he would open up to that place in the scripture in Isaiah and he'd read the first half of the prophecy of the Messiah. I am anointed. And he told all the things he was anointed to do. Preach the gospel. Heal the sick. The word that we have from God is that Jesus came down on this cross to first off be beaten for your healing And secondly, shed his blood for your forgiveness. There are two parts. Today, all around our country, there are churches that are celebrating communion. And they are taking the two parts. But many of those churches only believe in the forgiveness of Jesus. There are other ones only believe in the healing. But he wants you to believe in both. If his blood was all that we needed for the forgiveness of sins, not only is there no room for your works, there is no room for his body. Because his blood is sufficient. But his body was brought in because he knew that curse of the law is on your physical body. And he was concerned about that just as he went about doing good and healing all that were sick and oppressed casting out demon spirits he wants us to go and do the same everybody serve as we eat together let's remember his body was beaten was bruised because he took that on himself, that we would be healed. Let's eat together. After supper, he took the cup. He said, this represents the blood of the new covenant. Old covenant, you gotta keep coming, getting bloodshed new covenant now his blood was shed once and for all we receive what that blood has done for us washed us clean and though many many times the enemy will come and try and hit you you need to get saved again you're not how do you know you're going to heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ because I've received it glory be to God let's drink together thank you Father Father we thank you for all the work that you did all that you accomplished with Jesus here in this life and on that death and the cross when you resurrected him there's a promise that we also will be resurrected with him I thank you Father that you fulfill your word that you spoke way back in Jesus. And just like you fulfilled that word, you will fulfill every word that is written in your book for our life. If we continue to be faith in it, don't let doubt come in instead. Father, we believe what your word said. We walk in it. We stand on those promises. And I thank you for it. Glory be to Well, as we announced to you this morning, we have a dedication. Ask the Bacon family to come up.